Well, it's hard to believe that we are coming so close to the end of our Lenten journey. We turn this week to the Gospel of John as we continue looking at living on purpose. John 12, verses 20 through 26. Think about what it means for us in our life to seek on purpose. Let's stand together so we can hear these words of Scripture as one family. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Seeking on purpose. Who's the most famous person you have ever seen? Or the most famous person you've ever met? We're drawn to famous people and celebrities for various reasons, and we meet them and encounter them in all different kinds of ways. Over the years, uh, through stories in my sermons, I've shared with you my encounters with the few famous people that I've run into in the course of my life. I met uh, Bill Clinton when he was president down in New Orleans one day. I did a wedding for someone who worked for Joe Biden when he was vice president. My musical career as a professional lasted one song at one concert when I sang back up for Barry Manilow back in the 80s. One time long ago in DFW, I saw the great George Jones. And I regret to this day I was too timid to go up and engage the old possum in conversation. When I worked at SMU, I spent uh, every few years, I commuted back and forth to Houston to teach at our campus there. And so I commuted on Southwest. And one day I get on the plane and seated in that first row, the first person I saw was James Robison. Y'all remember James Robison, the TV preacher? When I was in the sixth grade, he was really on the rise. He was young and dynamic and they were billing him as the next Billy Graham. And my church herded all of us kids onto a school bus and took us to Little Rock to the largest venue in the city to hear James Robison preach. I can still remember him thundering from that pulpit. And I was mesmerized. And I was inspired. 
And I have no doubt that that had a role in the start of my thinking about being a preacher. The next Billy Graham. The only problem James had was Billy Graham kept going about 40 more years, right? There never was a next Billy Graham. And it didn't take me long as a 16-year-old preacher boy to realize I could never pull off that thundering style of preaching. But he still inspired me. And I wish I had stopped and sat down by him and told him that story. Because now I know how much those stories mean to me when people tell them to me. Another time I got on an airplane and there in first class was one of those ZZ top bearded guys from Duck Dynasty. I passed him as I went through to coach. I was not sitting in first class with this guy. But I still laugh when I remember that the guy behind me noticed him as well and stopped. And he says, excuse me, are you Cy Robertson? And I'll never forget the answer, the best answer to that question I've ever heard. The guy said, well, I'm what's left of him. I'm what's left of him. And one night long ago, years and years ago, I saw Stephen King eating dinner in my favorite restaurant in Belfast, Maine. But I did not interrupt his dinner. That is one scary guy. So I thought I would leave him alone. Sometimes in life we just happen upon people or we stumble upon things that impress us or inspire us. We run into famous people in the strangest places. And sometimes those encounters change our life. And those kind of unexpected moments are gifts to us. They are serendipities that provide great stories and great memories. And they're treasures that we should hold close in our hearts. In each of those examples from my life, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I didn't do anything to meet those famous people. I put in no effort at all. I knew the right people in one or two of those situations. The others, it was just walking into the spot at the right moment. But we also know, all of us, that there's an entirely different level of meaning in those kinds of experience, when we have been seeking that something or seeking that someone, when we have made the effort, when we have put in the time, when we've taken the risk, when we've paid the price, when we've invested ourselves and our energy in the seeking, then our life becomes quest, doesn't it? And those encounters change us always, each and every time. St. Augustine wrote, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek Him, the greatest adventure to find him 
the greatest human achievement. Isn't that a beautiful line? To seek him is the greatest adventure. There are many good and worthy things we seek in our life. Love and justice, peace, contentment, equality, purpose. All these are noble and all these are honorable, but the greatest adventure we can have in our life is to seek on purpose to know God more fully and to know God more deeply. That's been the intention of this whole 40-day challenge, isn't it? To live on purpose, seeking God. There is great power that is unlocked in our life by the Spirit of God when we seek on purpose. In our text, the famous person everyone is seeking is Jesus. The crowds attest to his fame and his celebrity. In John's Gospel, Jesus has already entered the city of Jerusalem for the last time, and the palms have been waved, and the hosannas have been shouted. And the city is crowded, and the feeling of expectation is high, and the air is tense with thoughts of rebellion against Rome. And among the countless Jews who have traveled from all around the world to observe the Passover is this group of people that's referred to as Greeks. Greeks. They're no doubt Gentile converts to Judaism, but the importance of them in the story of John's Gospel is that they are non-Jews. They are Gentile people. They represent everyone else in the world. Everyone else who ever lived and everyone else who will ever live that's not Jewish. If you go back one verse before our reading began, you have this wonderful statement where the Pharisees are looking very disapprovingly on the crowds who are praising and welcoming and worshiping Jesus. And they say to one another, See, you can do nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And indeed, the whole world does. As Yoda would say, prophets unaware they were. The Greeks have come to Jesus. The Greeks had traveled to Jerusalem in their seeking. They are seeking on purpose. They have paid a price and given of themselves and their time. And they are very clear what they're seeking. They see the first person who looks like they might have a clue what's going on, Philip, and they state it very plainly. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. There is no doubt here what they're seeking. Philip, as we say in the South, 
Bless his heart. He doesn't know what to do with somebody who does not look like him or sound like him or dress like him or live like him. These people are different. So he doesn't know what to do. So he goes and finds Andrew. And they talk it over. And finally they decide, well, I guess we'll just go tell Jesus of this request. And they do. Jesus, there's some Greek people here who wish to see you. And when Jesus hears of this request by these Gentiles seeking him out in the holy city, it marks an important moment in Jesus' ministry. This is not some encounter with random travelers on the road. This is not people Jesus has chatted with by a well or in a marketplace along the way to the city. These are outsiders. These are others who have come to seek Him out. Seeking Jesus out. Seeking on purpose to know God's love, seeking on purpose the way of salvation that they believe is being wrought in the life of Jesus the Christ. Jesus' reply to this request at first glance is that it's a very strange reply, isn't it? Hey Jesus, there's some Greeks here who want to see you. Jesus' response is, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm sure Philip and Andrew didn't know what to do with that either. But Jesus seems to understand that the seeking on purpose of these Gentiles marked the beginning of His last days. These seekers are assigned to Jesus that the time has come for God to complete the work of salvation for all the world. Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus knows that His death and His resurrection will set the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God loose in the world in a way that the world has never seen before. The seeking of Gentiles affirm that the circle of God's grace is not confined to the holy city of Jerusalem or to the land of Judea or even Samaria. While Jesus is one grain of wheat, while Jesus is alive, He belongs only to those who can come and see Him and who can hear His voice and who can see His miracles, those who are in the same little spot on the planet as the spot Jesus walked and prayed. But when Jesus dies, Jesus bears much fruit. And the whole world will be able to seek Him on purpose.
purpose. And the whole world will be saved, Jew and Gentile alike. Wonderful things happen when we seek God on purpose. So why are we so hesitant? Why aren't we like the Greeks in this strange story in the Gospel of John? Why aren't we pushing our way to the front of the crowd to make sure we find the one we seek? that we don't miss the opportunity to encounter the one we seek on purpose with our life? Do we not make time to seek like that? Do we not feel worthy to seek like that? Billy Graham wrote, Don't let mistakes keep you from seeking God. Don't let past mistakes keep you from seeking God. I don't know about you, but it's my mistakes that compel me to seek God. I shared with the children this week how when we seek God, we always find that God's already found us. Bede Griffiths wrote these words. I suddenly saw that all the time it was not I who had been seeking God, but God who had been seeking me. I had made myself the center of my existence and had my back turned to God. Those words ring true, don't they? Maybe that's what keeps us from seeking God like these Greeks in this story. But let us be like that group. Let us seek on purpose with all our hearts the God who loves us so much. It doesn't matter who we are or where we've been or where we're going or what we've done. When we seek God on purpose we'll experience the joy of knowing we've already been found in the love and grace of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.